things and also the year when we're continuing to believe God that the impossible will become possible. And we're already seeing that happen. We're already seeing exciting things that we would never have dreamed of. And yet with God, you know, nothing is impossible. So we're going to be looking at paradigm three today. Um, labor is worship and every believer is a minister. there somewhere. Um, over recent weeks, we've been looking at the five paradigm shifts for nation transformation. We've been looking at them in more detail, and we've seen that paradigm means developing a new mindset, having a new way of thinking. Oh, is it? Right, okay. Okay, let's just recap. Uh, we're on the third paradigm. The first paradigm is we are called to disciple nations, not just individuals. The second one is the marketplace, which is the heart of the nation, has been redeemed and now it needs to be reclaimed. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at every Christian is a minister and labor is worship. Now, in order for this to happen, we've seen that change must take place. Okay, I've already said this is the year of new things, change. And for change to take place, it's got to happen in us first. We need to have new attitudes. We need to have new mindsets. And we're going to be looking at what these are as we continue to look at the third paradigm, which is labor, is worship, and every, whoops, no we're not, <laughs> and every believer is a minister. Now, last week, we looked at how we need to overcome our fear of ministry and also how we need to recognize our God-given authority to birth change and usher in the kingdom of God. We saw that God cares about our work, our labor. We also saw that every believer is a minister, but we need to submit to God's plan and purpose for our lives in order to fulfill that potential. Now, God cares about whether we worship him or not. He cares whether we worship him with our work and in our work. And to, so today, we'll be looking at how labor can be and is worship. Now, if you remember, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the terms marketplace minister and pulpit minister. And we see that both of these are ministers with the calling of God upon their lives, but with spheres of influence and expertise that are very distinct, and yet at the same time, complementary to each other. So whether we're a pulpit minister or whether we're a marketplace minister, we're all servants of God. Because this is what church is all about. We're working together to bring transformation to our communities, to our cities, to our nations. So in order to understand what we mean by the phrase labor is worship, we're going to be looking at what worship is and what labor is and then how we can apply this in the marketplace. Let's just go back a little bit and think of the word church. Now a lot of people have thought the word church means the building. But the word church means the people. It's not the building that we're meeting in. It's us. It's you. It's me. And if we look in Matthew 16, 18, 
we see that when Jesus said to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. If we look at the word for church here, ecclesia in Greek, it means a congregation, a community. It doesn't mean a building, it means the people. So in the same way that we've used the term church incorrectly, we've used a time of praise. We, we, we've referred to a time of praise to God with music as being worship. And we've restricted worship to a certain part of the Sunday service or to our time alone with God. And this has led to a lot of Christians seeing worship as something that they do on Sunday to the tune of music, failing to see that what they do on a Monday through to Saturday is also meant by God to be worship. Now, it'd be great if we could take the worship team to work with us, but we can't. You know, and you probably can't take your CD player because <laughs> David's got a job <laughs> and David's worshipping at his place of work. Now, you can't take the worship team to church with you. You probably can't take your CD play, player to church. So if it meant that in order for you to worship God at your work, you had to have music, maybe you could listen to your iPod for an hour during your lunch break or your CD or, or whatever and have, as you have your time alone with God. That could be your worship time, but that would only take up a very small part of your day because worship is more than this. God wants your whole day to be spent in worship to him. So let's look at what worship is. Okay, there's a definition that I found for worship to love, admire, to show respect from God. And this comes from an old English word, worth-ship, worth-ship. And this has got shortened over the years to worship. So when we worship God, we show our appreciation for his worth. It makes sense, doesn't it? We show appreciation to God for his worth. How much does God mean to us? What, what is God worth to us? You know, we sing that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. I'll bring you more than a song. Worship is all about God. It's more than just singing songs. It's an expression of how much we value God. In the back of my Bible, there's another definition which I really like, to express praise and devotion. So as Christians, this is what we want our lives to be, lives that are expressing praise and devotion to God in everything. Everything we say, everything we do, should be an expression of worship to God. Now, true worship comes out of intimacy with God, and it comes from the heart. You know, when we read the book of Psalms, and I, I really love reading Psalms, I, I find them so inspiring, so encouraging, so uplifting, we see how David worshipped God. And I've never seen this before, but David was worshipping God in his place of work because when he was a young boy he was a shepherd he was looking after the sheep in the field that was his marketplace that was his place of work and he was worshiping God there and we can see how this expression of worship came out of his intimate relationship with God and if we look in the book of Isaiah chapter 43 verse 21 
It says, this people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. You know, God's made us. God has formed us to worship him. And there's so many examples if we look in the Old Testament, and if you go back and you examine the Hebrew, you'll see that the same word that's used for work is used for serve and is used for worship. And as we go along, we'll see different examples of how this same word is used. And this word in Hebrew is obad, and it means to work, to serve, to worship. Now, worship and praise are so interconnected, both are ways in which we honor God, both are ways in which the focus is taken away from us and onto God, because worship is meant to exalt God. It's meant to please God. And you know, the wonderful thing about worship is when we worship, we become so close to God. We're the closest to God that we ever will be, because worship and praise welcomes God into our midst. So it's good to worship God. God deserves our worship. If we look at Psalms chapter 22, verse 3, for you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. And if you've got the King James Version, it says he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we worship God, when we praise God, he's not far away. He's with us. You know, he wants to be with us. He's a loving God, and it's his desire that he's with us. And if we look at the Great Commission like we did last week, God says, and remember this, I am with you always. And when we worship him, he's with us. But the key here is intimacy with God. The more intimate we are with God, the more our life will be an act of worship to him. The more intimate we are with God, the more our life will be an act of worship to him. The closer we get to him, the more we love him, the more we come to appreciate him, this is going to affect every part of our lives. It's going to affect the way we act. It's going to affect what we say. But it comes from intimacy with God, and it comes from our heart. So really, what we're saying is worship is a lifestyle. Everything we say, everything we do. If we look at Psalms 31, and again, I'm, I'm quoting from the King James Version, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. If we look at Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And there that uh, word comes in again, serve, from Hebrew, but it also means worship. We will serve the Lord. We will worship the Lord. And if we look in Hebrews, we find out that we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus so that we may serve, so that we may worship the living God. And again, from the King James Version, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve 
the living God. And that word serve in the Greek, as well as meaning serve, also means worship. So we can see how these words are interconnected, how they mean the same thing. So Jesus died on the cross so that we could live the kind of life that he intended for us to live. But again, the key is intimacy with God. Okay, Romans 12, verse 1, and I'm reading from the New International Version this time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, there's some words in there that we don't really like to read, if we're honest. A living sacrifice. We very often don't like that word, you know, but if we're looking at Christian worship, as being not simply an act of praising God in a church meeting or in your time alone with God, as important as that kind of worship is, and we're looking at worship as being an ongoing attitude, a lifestyle, God wants us to offer ourselves daily as living sacrifices, putting aside our own desires to follow him, to show him how much he means to us, and that's not easy to do. We don't like that word sacrifice, making a sacrifice. You know, there may, there may be something that we really, really like doing. There may be some dreams that we have for the future that we really, really want to do. But they're probably not the best for you. They're probably not in God's plan and purpose for you. And God wants us to put them on one side and it might mean that it's a sacrifice, and it might be hard, you know, but it's the best thing that God wants you to do, and allow God to give you something that is so much better. Allow God to work in you, and move in you, and give you the life that Jesus died on the cross for, for you, the kind of life that he intended for you to live. So it's not, it's not always easy to do that, but it is so worthwhile. So when we make worship our lifestyle, knowing that God is with us all the time, when we maintain that intimacy that only comes from being in his presence, you know, we're strengthened. We need God in our lives. We need the strength that only he can bring. And we begin to know what's on God's heart. And we move from clinging on in survival mode to living in victory. And that's the kind of life Jesus wants us to live. He doesn't want us to, to cling on and, and, and just try and survive in life in our workplace. He wants us to live victorious lives because that's the life that Jesus died to give us. And I want to live that kind of life. And if you haven't started coming to the Anointed for Business course that we're running on a Saturday morning, 
I would recommend that you come because we're learning about this. We're learning about how we're not just going to work to survive. We're not just going to work to try and get some money, although the money aspect is, is, is important, but we're going to work to live victorious lives for God, to see our workplace transformed by the power of the gospel as we live our lives as we live a lifestyle of worship, knowing that God is in control and knowing that we can accomplish his plan and purpose for our lives. But in order to do this, in order to fulfill the potential that we have, it requires submission to God. It requires that daily sacrifice. But when we do that, as I've said, we move from survival mode into living in victory. We move from being people who are influenced by the world, who are influenced by our environment, by our workplace, to being people that are influencing the world, people who are influencing the workplace. And I want to be that kind of person where I am influencing the street where I live. I'm influencing the people that I come into contact with, but again, intimacy with God is so vital because the closer we get to him the more we'll know what pleases him and the more we will want to please him you know what you worship will influence you you know in the world today there's a lot of role models and we have to be very very careful what example we follow, what role model we follow. People that follow the, the, the pop stars and the actors and actresses, you see, they want to be like them. They want to dress like them. They want to talk like them. They want to in, in, imitate them. And the same is true of us when we follow God, when we worship God. We will want to become like him. I want to become like Jesus. I want to become like God. And that's why Paul said in Ephesus, Ephesians, sorry, not Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, Paul said, be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. And there we have that word again, sacrifice. But Jesus did that for us. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. What can we do but give our lives back to him in worship and in service to him? Every child of God should be growing in likeness to the Heavenly Father. You know, when you see natural children grow, growing up and you think, oh, doesn't he look just like his dad? You know, that's how we should be with God. We should be becoming more and more and more like our Heavenly Father because of Jesus' love for us. And we see the example of the love that Jesus had for us, that true love that went beyond mere affection to self sacrificing service for us and that's what Jesus wants from us he wants a self-sacrificing service worship for him now there's so much more that we could say about worship it's a it's an abs it's a really deep subject and we, we, we could say so much more but if you were at 3p night in November last year you remember Pastor Brian preached on worship 
So if you want to get the CD from Dave, it's um, 3p night in November last year. Or if you were taking notes, reread it. You know, refresh your, your, your mind as to what worship is all about. So we've looked at worship. Let's look at what labor is. Now, in the same way that we have incorrectly used the terms church and worship, we've done the same with labor. We tend to look at labor as just our job, nine to five or whatever hours you spend in your place at work, but it's more than that. Labor is everything that we do. It's the works of our hands, it's not just our employment. Okay, so labor is everything we do. It's something that we do that requires physical or mental effort in order to earn money or achieve something. So we've established that real worship comes from the heart. So when we talk about labor being worship, and worship is a lifestyle, and if worship is everything we do, labor is everything we do, then even the way we rest and have fun is worship. Have you ever thought about that? You know, it, it's everything we do. Whether we're at church, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, it's our lifestyle. Now, when I want to switch off and I want to relax and I just want to rest, there's lots of things that I like to do. One of the things that I, I like to do, I don't get to do it very often, but I like to do some cross-stitch. Now, I don't see cross-stitch as work and I don't get paid for it either. I enjoy it, but it requires effort on my part. But when I look at the end results, I'm pleased with what I've done. It's the work of my hands. It's the fruit of my labor. So even when we rest and relax, and we have a hobby, it can be worship. You know, it's our lifestyle. So. If we look at worship, if we look at labor now as being worship and we define it as something that we do that requires effort on our part as we build the kingdom of God on earth and bring about nation transformation, we have to do it. It won't get done by itself. You remember I said last week we've got a fantastic church vision, but it won't get fulfilled by itself. We have to do it. And that's the same with building the kingdom of God. It won't get built by itself, but it will if all of us realize our responsibility and we all work together. Let's go back to the beginning. In Genesis, we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then he created man in his own image. And in Genesis chapter 2, we read, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. We see that this is a deliberate action by God. Adam and Eve weren't just dropped in the garden. It wasn't a mistake. They were put there. If you look at the Hebrew for put, it means that they were placed. They were allowed to stay in the garden. And that word to dress comes from the Hebrew word obad again, which means to work to serve and to worship. And they were put there to keep the garden, to guard it, to protect it. So we see they were put in the garden, a deliberate action by God, in order to serve him, in order to tend the garden. And in doing so, they worshiped him. 
They were in the place where God wanted them to be. They were doing what God wanted them to do. So really, worship was their lifestyle, wasn't it? Their, it was their lifestyle. They were worshiping God. Now, God's designed us to be his ministers. It's in his plan and purpose that we should serve him. And if we look again at that Hebrew word, obad, to work, to serve, to worship, we see that the sense of worshiping God is an extension of the idea of serving God in our work and with our work. There are many examples in the Old Testament where we read that God's people were told to bring the fruit of their labor, the first fruits, and offer them to God as an expression of their worship. They were to, uh, told to bring grain offerings. They were told to bring animals, perfect animals without defect. And this was an act that was dependent upon their work. So if they hadn't looked after their herds carefully, they wouldn't have had a perfect animal to bring to offer to God in worship. If they hadn't have tended their gardens or their farms carefully and produced good fruit from it, they wouldn't have had something of quality to give to God. So we see how connected labor and worship are. In Chronicles chapter 16, Verses, uh, verse 29, David is saying, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So when we are in relationship with God, when we know that intimacy with him, then everything we do, everything we say, even the way we rest and have fun can be worship because true rest can only be found in God's presence anyway. It's there where we are refreshed. It's there where we are restored. So worship and labor are connected, but how do we apply this in the marketplace? We saw last week, <coughs> excuse me, that it's in the marketplace where we spend the majority of our working hours. So if worship is a lifestyle, then it follows that worship should be our lifestyle in the place where we spend most of our time, and that's at work. Because what does the second paradigm say? It says the marketplace, which is the heart of the nation, has been redeemed. Now it needs to be reclaimed. So we see labor is worship. We see worship is a lifestyle. So our labor, what we do, is working towards reclaiming the marketplace. We are there to reclaim what Jesus has already redeemed. And again, I would urge you to come to the Anointed for Business course because we're learning all about this. Jesus has redeemed the marketplace. Jesus died on the cross and he didn't die on the cross for nothing. He died on the cross to redeem the marketplace and we are here to reclaim the marketplace. 
because what does the first paradigm say? Let's go back to the first paradigm say. What the first paradigm does say is that he's called us to go and make disciples of all nations, not just individuals. And Jesus paid the price for everything that he's asking us to reclaim. Now, we've heard a lot about a lady called Barbara. She's an absolutely amazing lady. Brian has met her a few times in um, Argentina, and she's just an amazing example of a marketplace minister. She's a high court judge in Hong Kong, and she's led so many people to the Lord during the course of her work. She's even baptized colleagues in her judges' chambers. Now, I don't quite know how that has worked, but she's done it in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, praise, praise the Lord. He, he's just using so many different kinds of people in so many different kinds of situations. And in the courthouse where she works, there's now a growing number of people that believe in Jesus. And these people are judges, these people are court employees, and they're bringing the presence of God right into the heart of the judicial system in Hong Kong. But she's only able to do this when she recognized that she is a minister, that her courtroom is her pulpit, and that her labor there is worship. So what did she do? She dedicated her courtroom to the Lord. She invited Jesus to come and take up residence there. And now she makes it a practice to pray for every single case that comes before her. You see, her actions glorify God. God's name is exalted. She's worshiping God with her job. And praise is offered in the marketplace as a result of her turning her job into ministry. You know, it makes such a difference when you involve Jesus in your work. And when we make worship our lifestyle, he's there. He says, I am with you always. So let's use our imagination for a moment. Imagine God. Okay, if you're a teacher, imagine God sitting in your classroom standing by you as you teach, walking with you through the corridors, as you talk with the other teachers, as you talk with the students. Maybe they come up to you and they've got a problem and they don't quite know what to do. Imagine Jesus standing there with you. Imagine God being in your office, sitting by you at your desk, helping you with the decisions that you have to make, sitting with you at lunchtime as you're talking with your colleagues. Imagine God being with you. Imagine God being with you in your home. You know, because that's a marketplace as well. You're ministering to people's needs in your home. Imagine him being there as you're cleaning, as you're cooking, as you're, you're washing the clothes, as you're ministering to your family. Imagine him being in your workplace. And just see the difference that that would make how you begin to look at your daily tasks, how you begin to look at your responsibilities makes a difference. And it makes a difference when we understand just how involved God wants to be. And God can be if we let him in each and every situation that we face. But you know, like I shared 
last Sunday, so many Christians, and myself included, years ago, we pictured God way up in heaven, not really interested in us from Monday through to Saturday. He was only interested in us when we came to church on Sunday. But the rest of the week, we were at work, we were by ourselves. You know, and although we knew that, okay, Jesus is with me, I can call upon him in the day of trouble and he will help me, I didn't understand, like I shared last week, how involved God wanted to be with me when I was at work and what a difference that would have made all those years ago. We need to understand more and more the extent to which God wants to be involved in our lives and in our work. And it doesn't really matter, you know, what we're doing or where we are. God wants to be involved. God wants us to worship him. And did you know that God could speak to you when you're at your kitchen sink? You did know that, okay? Some of you have had the same experience as I have. God spoke to me once, and I learned a very, very hard lesson, hard way, at my kitchen sink. Some time ago, we had some friends of ours come to stay with us for a few weeks, good friends, and we were enjoying having them in our home, looking after them, we were having a great time. But after a couple of weeks, I began to notice that the man was beginning to do something that was really beginning to irritate me. It was really, really beginning to get on my nerves. Every time he made himself a cup of tea, we, we told them to make themselves at home, but every time this man made himself a cup of tea, he'd leave his soggy tea bag in the sink. <laughs> and I cleaned my sink, but every time I came back to the sink, there was this soggy tea bag. And after a while, this began to get on my nerves. And it began to get to me so much inside that I began, I, I, I just felt I wasn't enjoying their visit. You know, they were great friends and it was great to have them here, but because of this soggy, wet tea bag that kept appearing in my sink, I wasn't enjoying it at all. And so I went, I went to the sink and I was cleaning it and I was throwing the tea bag away again and I was feeling, oh. And all of a sudden, God said, Margaret, worship me. Okay, what did I, how did I respond, okay, to my shame? I said, yeah, God, hang on a minute. <laughs> Wait till I finish cleaning my sink, and then I'll come and worship you. Oh, I, you know, when I look back, I think, how dare I say that to God? You know, but God, in his mercy and in his grace, he gives us chance after chance. He gives us opportunity after opportunity. And he wasn't satisfied with that response that I gave him. And he said to me again, Margaret, worship me. And again, what did Margaret say? Margaret says, yeah, hang on a minute, God. Let me finish cleaning my sink, throwing the tea bag away, and I'll come and worship you. I think, how could I say that? It's bad enough saying it once, but say it twice to God, that's, that's not on. And then God said again, Margaret, worship me now as you're cleaning your sink. Do this as an act of worship to me. Don't forget that as you're ministering to the needs of your guests, you're serving them and you're serving me. <clears throat> yeah, it was one of those gulp kind of moments. And I thought, okay, God, I'm, I'm so glad you're merciful. I'm so glad you give me a second chance. I'd have probably dumped me in the rubbish bin along with the tea bag, but God's not like that. 
you know, he gives us chance after chance. Because you see, it was more than just cleaning my sink, it was ministering, it was worship. And you know, after that, my attitude changed. And I thought, okay, it doesn't really matter if the tea bag keeps appearing in the sink, that doesn't matter, you know. And my whole attitude changed. And the tea bag did keep appearing in the sink, but I didn't get irritated anymore. I, I didn't, you know, get all worked up over the fact that, okay, I gotta do it again. I started to enjoy having my friends in my home again. And I started to feel blessed. And I started to be, feel that I was being a blessing to them. You see, the most important thing was not whether I had a clean kitchen sink, but whether I had a clean heart before God. And that was quite a lesson to learn. You see, a clean sink is not important, but a clean heart is very, very important. You see, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And it's so important that we remember that everything we do as ministers, whether we're pulpit ministers, whether we're marketplace ministers, we do it with the right attitude of heart. We're serving God. We're worshiping him. So don't let those routine things that you have to do every day, day in, day out, don't let them get to you because they can rob you of your joy. They can rob you of what God wants to do in you and do through you. But do them. You might have to do the same thing a hundred times a day, but do it with the right attitude. Serving God, worshipping him, ministering to God, ministering to others. Because that's what it's all about. Because David says something in Psalms 24 about this. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek your face, O Jacob. And both those words, if you look at the Hebrew, to, the, those words for seek mean to follow, to seek specially to worship, to search out specifically in worship and prayer. And David emphasizes in these Psalms, that those who want to worship God and serve him and receive his blessing must have a pure heart, must be living a righteous life, to have clean hands, not doing anything that's sinful, a clean heart, inward holiness, right motives, goals. And as we seek to worship and serve God in the right way, not only are we blessed, but we bless other people. It's a two-way thing, and God's blessed as well. Now, the opposite of this is also true, and there's a very strong warning in Jeremiah 7, verse 2 to 3, where Jeremiah, uh, the word of the Lord, comes to Jeremiah and tells the people that are coming through the gates to worship him that they need to reform their ways and actions. That's a very strong warning. We cannot worship God 
if we're living a sinful lifestyle. You see, when we realize that we're ministers, worship should be incorporated into our work routine naturally. Worship is a lifestyle. It's meant to please God. It's meant to exalt him among the people. Like the example that we've just had of Barbara. Her work was worship. She was ministering. And as we worship God by our service to him and to others in the workplace, we please God. Do you want to live a life that pleases God? I do. I want to live a life that is so pleasing to God, but we need to change our mindset and see how highly God values labor. God values what we do. We need to turn our work into ministry that glorifies God. Our works should praise God, and they should also cause others to praise him also. Because Jesus taught this in Matthew 5, verses 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And we see so many examples in the Gospels where Jesus blessed people, where Jesus healed people, where Jesus touched people's lives. Like in Luke um, chapter 18, Jesus healed the blind man. And instantly the blind man could see and he followed Jesus praising God, and all those who saw it praised God too. So it wasn't just the blind man that was praising God, it was all the people that had witnessed it as well. And in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, it says to us, be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Now this is very, very important. Be careful how you live on your estate, down your road, be careful how you live because people are watching you. And if they know that you're Christians, they're going to be watching you even more. Is your, wor is your lifestyle on your estate, down your street, is it one of worship? Is it one that gives praise and exalts God? Because Peter goes on to say here, even if they accuse you of doing wrong. Have you ever been accused of doing wrong by your neighbors? <laughs> I have, and it's not very nice, is it? And it's, it's not very nice. But it's, Peter says, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. So it's very, very important how we live on our estates, down our streets. Now, unlike Adam and Eve that we've talked about earlier tonight, we don't live in gardens, okay? We live in cities, we live in towns, we live in villages. And most of us, unless we're gardeners or unless we're farmers, we don't make our living from the fruits of trees or plants, but from the income that we get from our jobs or our businesses. But just as Adam and Eve cared for their garden, they tended to the plants and the animals because this was their God-given task. So we need to tend our gardens. We need to tend the places where we work. Our God-given assignments, ministering to the people there who need our services. We need to embrace this new way of thinking that our labor 
is worship when done to the glory of God. So since every believer is a minister, then their job must become a ministry vehicle for labor to be seen as an expression of worship because it ministers to God, it ministers to others around us and ourselves because Jesus commanded us to love God, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So by seeing that our labor is worship, showing God that we love him, we're showing other people that we love God and we're showing other people that we love them as well and we know who we are in God. And when we know who we are in God and we can act in his power and authority, knowing that we have the right attitude towards ourselves, powerful things can happen. So it's very important to know who you are in Christ. You are valuable. You are his purchased possession. He cares for you. He cares for what you do. And as you draw near to him in worship, you're capable of great acts of service. It's amazing what God can do in you and what God can do through you and what God wants to do through you. If you remember back a couple of years ago, we had a series of messages on radical leadership. Does anybody remember those, those messages we had on radical leadership? Um, one of the things that we learned on, from those messages was that our God is a creator God. That's the first thing we learn about God creator God you know and if Jesus lives in me then I have that same creative power working in me and working through me so I can speak God's creative power into situations and I can see change happen because another aspect of radical leadership is we bring change we bring about change people have got to be better because we've met them Are the people on your street on your estate, are they better because you live there? Are the people where you work, are they better because you work there? You know, it's a thought, isn't it? Are they better because we are there? Is your workplace better because you are there serving God, worshiping God? You know, if we consciously make all that we do an act of worship to God, this allows his creative nature to be reflected in us. But as I said right at the very beginning, and it has been said in the service tonight, we have to guard our attitudes. We need to have new attitudes, new mindsets, and that starts with us first. And that's not always easy to do, but with God, all things are possible. We can develop a new mindset you know, very often, if we have negative attitudes, these negative attitudes can be a destructive influence because we deny that creative power of God to be released through our worship. You know, if we have that kind of attitude that thinks, I can't really be bothered, it doesn't really matter if I go to church, it doesn't really matter, I can't be bothered, you know, negative, negative, negative. I'm not going to join in. It's not going to make any difference anyway. You know, well, if we go with that kind of attitude, it's not going to make any difference. But if we join in and we are part of what's going on with a positive attitude, wanting our life to be of worship, a worship to God, serving him, having that new mindset, speaking God's creative word into situations, we can 
bring about change, but it depends on our attitude. I'll just close with an illustration. Um, we've all heard bands, haven't we? We've heard good bands and we've heard not so good bands. And the other day there was a school band very near where our estate, and that was an example of not a very good band. You know, Im imagine a band without some of its players, without the drummer or without some of the other instruments. It wouldn't sound very good. Imagine a band that weren't in tune with each other, and I think this band that I was listening to, they weren't in tune with each other. And they weren't in the right time. And I just wonder if they were really watching the person who was conducting what was going on. And you know, we, we've seen bands where they're, they're playing half-heartedly. And it's not nice. It's not nice to listen to. And all you want is just think, oh, just be quiet. Just go away. Go and practice. But we've heard bands that are really playing good. They're all in tune with each other. They're all in time with each other. All the players have turned up. They're watching the conductor. They know what they're supposed to be doing and the time that they're supposed to be doing. You know, uh, this kind of band is functioning as it is intended to. All the musicians are needed. And in God's kingdom, we are all needed. You know, you might think, doesn't really matter if I'm not there, if I'm not going. You are needed as part of God's kingdom. Whether we're pulpit ministers, whether we're marketplace ministers, we should all be in that place where God intends us to be, doing what he intends us to do. Not doing something that he has never intended us to do, but doing what he's called us to do. Putting everything that we've got into it and see that as believers we are ministers and that our labor is worship so i'd just like to leave you with that question is your workplace better because you're there serving god worshiping god believe you are a minister believe that your labor is worship god bless you praise god for his word to us tonight. Uh, you may be the only person at your place of work, and it might be a bit overwhelming, especially if you work in a large office. But uh, I want to encourage you that you have the capacity in God to dictate the atmosphere in that place of work. Through God's creative power, all things are possible. And you can change the situation. Margaret's talked about Barbara Chen, uh, that I've met several times now in Argentina, also in Hawaii. And um, Angelica stayed in her home when she went to Hong Kong. And um, she uh, has really um, seen God move in an incredible way. Hi, I'm over here, guys. <laughs> Sometimes there are things that you think are way beyond your control. But with God, as I said, all things are possible. She once told me that there was a serial rapist 
that she was, uh, she was judging the case against this, this man. And something happened and all the evidence became inadmissible. Everyone knew he was guilty, but the evidence was useless. And he was going to be thrown out and he was going to be acquitted. And of course, he can't be tried for the same crime twice. And uh, so she prayed. And as the guy came in, his lawyer was going to say, well, uh, this evidence has been discredited, so we're going to throw this case out of court. The guy said, hang on, be quiet. He, he stood up and he said, I confess. I don't know why I'm confessing, but I've got to tell you the truth. Something in me is making me tell you that I have committed all these crimes. And I want to own up and I want to say, I'm sorry, please, uh, you know, um, convict me of all these crimes. And he had no explanation as to why he confessed. But Barbara, Barbara knew why, because the power of God came upon him. And he just confessed in, in the courtroom to all the crimes. Incredible. And um, you may feel like you're facing the most incredible situation in your place of work, that it just seems as though the influence of the world is too strong. But I want to tell you, if you take hold of the message that we bring in here, that is meant to, 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 to help us to see that we, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus, that it's not just a message we have, but it's the power of God that we have to transform every situation. And if we take hold of this, then in our place of work, we can see God move in incredible ways. I've been so blessed this week. It's just incredible. And I thought, wow, I was involved in this. I don't know if you, you, you watch the news, but there's, over the past few months, there's been a, a lot of trouble in Argentina. And uh, what was happening is the new government and... Um, uh, the new government wants to impose a tax upon food exports out of Argentina, which is soya beans and beef. And they want to impose this tax uh, upon, not upon the people of Argentina, but upon other nations that buy their beef and buy their soya beans. And the Argentine farmers, who are mostly Christian, right, about 60% born-again Christians, the farmers have saying, no, we don't want this tax because we want to bless the poor nations of the world. Isn't that fantastic? The farmers, the farmers of Argentina want to bless the poor nations of the world and supply food to those who are hungry. And that's incredible. And so they've gone against the government and there's been all kinds of protests and they've been blocking the roads and all kinds of things. They've been saying, no, this is, this is not what is this is not righteous, this is not what we want to do. We want to bless the world with food from Argentina. And when I was in Argentina, we prayed for the mayor of the city of Mar del Plata. And I, I, I could, I, I've got a photograph of him somewhere. Um, but we prayed for this guy. And the following week was the national elections in Argentina. And this guy became the vice president of Argentina, the guy we prayed for. Now, 
when it came for the vote in Parliament last week, it came down that it was half of the, of the MPs were pro the farmers and half were pro the government. And it came down to the last vote. And the last vote was this guy's vote that we prayed for. And he says, I stand against this tax because we want to bless the people of the world. And his vote, the guy we prayed for, his vote cast it in favour of the farmers. And the farmers defeated the government. Come on, this is just incredible. This is amazing. The power of what God can do. And, and PCC was a part of it. Praise the Lord, because we prayed for this guy. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I'm just, it just blows my mind. And I saw that on the news two days ago. BBC World Service, it was, one, it was the third item on the international news. Incredible. And I think, I know him. And he, came, he showed you this guy saying, I vote no. <laughs> and I thought, I know that guy. I prayed for him. It's incredible. So this is what God can do. So what can he do through you in your place of work? Come on. Hallelujah. Is God powerful or what? God is good. God can do things through you. I think it's time to pray. It's time to have faith. It's time to believe. Monday mornings, I used to hate Monday mornings, even as a Christian. Because I had, when I was a school teacher, I had the worst class. I had the kids that no one else wanted. And I used to have them first thing Monday morning. When they were hyper after the weekend. And it was my job, thanks everybody, all the other teachers in the school, it was my job to calm them down for the rest of the week. So I had them for five hours, solid, in a room. These were kids that were on glue, sniffing glue and uh, beating up policemen and all kinds of stuff. And I was in a room with them all on my own, praise the Lord. And they were big guys. And uh, some of them were bigger than me, praise the Lord. It was like I'd been in a room full of Alex's. And uh, <laughs> it was great. You know, some of those came to Jesus. Some of those kids came to Jesus. Incredible. Because God can do it. We can be the influence. We do not have to be the influenced. We can be the influencers. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And Lord God, we just want to reiterate that, that, that from, from your word to us earlier on, we want to have thankful hearts. Forgive us when we take our eyes off you and we see the problem. And the problem just seems to overwhelm us. It just seems too much. But if we keep our eyes on you, we see that you are, you are high above all these things. And we hear these testimonies of different people and different things. And, uh, and, and Father, it, it, it even brings it more closer to us as, as these are people that are known to this church. Barbara Chen intercedes for this church on a regular basis. 
a high court judge in Hong Kong who prays for PCC because she knows us. And the testimonies we give about her, they're, they're things that's not just stories about some unknown person in a book. This is real people we know. And if you can do it in Barbara, if you see Barbara, she's the tiniest woman. She's just so minute. And yet she's full of faith and power and authority in God. It's not your size and your stature that matter. It's your faith. It's how much you trust Jesus. Lord God, help us. Help us to recognize that through you all things are possible. And that we can change the atmosphere in our place of work. We can bring a godly atmosphere, a godly influence to our homes, to our streets, to our schools, to government, to business. Now you may be at school, you may be at work, you may be retired, but you can still be a godly influence. And you can still make a difference. Because if we believe in God and we trust in God, then things will change. Establish your kingdom, Lord God. Even as we think of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We want to see the kingdom of God established in our workplace. And as we do that, Lord God, as we see that fulfilled through us, we recognize our role is to worship you at work. To honour you in all that we do. To give you glory in every situation. So that others may see, may catch a glimpse of your greatness and their lives will be transformed. We thank you Lord for all that you are to us. And we pray that you will maintain your position of honour outside the worship service in church. But every moment of every day, you will be seated on the throne of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.